I've never really had any balance. And so for me, whenever I've lost or, you know, had setbacks, zero balance. I would be miserable to be around. And uh, I think that's also partly what drives you and, you know, what has made me, you know, you know, where I've had success, but it hasn't been where I don't think success has ever softened me. It's made me want it more. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life. And that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Out of the game. Welcome to the fifth episode of the season. Point for a podcast, myself, Andre Dalla, Evan Turner. Yo, yo. If you missed it, uh, we had one of the top NBA analysts of all time, Doris Burke, last week's episode. So if you uh, haven't had the chance, definitely go back, check that out wherever you're currently listening to your podcasts. Uh, today, we'll be digging into Chicago hoops, um, stomping grounds of Evan Turner, myself being from Illinois, uh, and the college game as well. As we welcome Duke men's head basketball coach John Shire to point forward. Speaking of that, uh, the timing is perfect since Duke plays Ohio State next week. Evan, you got interesting background. Where are you right now? Right now I'm in uh, Maui, Hawaii, with uh, the Ohio State oh, yeah. basketball Hawaii. program. Yes, sir. I'm at the Maui Invitational, but it's been a fun trip. A fun, a fun trip. So I've been enjoying I'm looking myself. Forward to it. I'm looking forward to retirement. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, the timing is perfect since Duke plays Ohio State next week. Evan, will you be at the game? No, I'll definitely be at the game, hopping on the, hopping on the plane, going there that day. But uh, it's super cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. John's 34. You know, he's a hell of a basketball player. And to see him, you know, take a big step at an institution like Duke is uh, cool to do. So I'm rooting for him from a, from a distance. I like the way you cleaned up that I'm hopping on a plane after our uh, financial uh, conversation with Mr. Robert Smith. You didn't say jet, so thank you. But yeah, no doubt. Before, <laughs> before we get to our conversation with, with John, let's talk about what's happening in our world a little bit. Point forward. All right, so before we jump into this week's topic, and, you know, obviously we just had Doris Burke, but during that, interview you said something that kind of shocked me and well, mm-hmm. when she brought up drake you kind of you said drake is one of the top artists of our time and that kind of shocked me considering the fact that you you know you always been up and down you know with drake and you know his, his level so were you being serious right. or was that just like kind of sarcasm is drake the top no. artist of all time no i mean he is one of the top artists of our time i'm there's a lot of artists out there who probably are some of the best artists of our time that I really don't listen to their music, but I actually like Drake's music. Like he makes really good music. Okay. And like I've been listening to Drake since the very, very, very beginning. And then Take Care was probably his best album to date. That was an elite album. The best song yeah. on there, Drake. The best song on that album wasn't Drake wasn't on the song. That's all I'm saying. So, so you talking about Kendrick Lamar's part? Voila, bro, you're bugging, brother. The whole voila, this, voila. This man That's what I'm saying. Bro. Your best bro, body wild. of work, your best body of work, and you don't have the best song on there. How? I just told bro, you. 
Bro. It was an amazing album, though. I listened to the album like daily. It was really good. Yeah, but Wu Tang Forever was crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wu Tang Forever was good. The ride was crazy and the realest. Yeah, the whole album was crazy. But Kendrick's but the, part was I'm just saying the best song because the because what Kendrick did on the album, he really was showing them love, but it's almost like that Eminem ass feature, bro. Kendrick that's what I'm I saying. Didn't yeah, was, I, I, didn't know, yeah. I didn't know that was Kendrick. And I'm like, what I didn't either. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Drake's right voice now. is different. I'm like, Drake yeah. killed this song. Why is his voice different? Then he killed this song. And then Man. I found out who it was. And it was I, I, a rap. I, now, I, now, then I had a favorite artist after that. I didn't, once I found out who he was. I don't know, but you might be, you might be forcing that. I had a whole thing on Take Care. You telling me Kendrick that didn't In sound like Kendrick. Personal opinion. And that's why you can't give people opinions, man. That's <laughs> I'm just, I'm just no. saying what I like. No, that's real. I, I believe it. And, and, and you would know better than I would. You know what I'm saying? So, no, I, I, when it comes to music, I wouldn't say I know better, but like, like he's Drake is probably one of the best song makers I don't know we've ever seen. Like, for real. Like, he can put yeah, a song sure. together. You know, he, he wrote for Alicia Keys, um, one of my favorite Alicia Keys songs he wrote. Uh, I'm ready. What's the name of that song? If you ask me, I'm ready. Like yeah, Drake is in jam. there. Yeah, he's in there, kind of doing his thing. But I, uh, you know, I, like I'm a, I'm like Frank Ocean. Like I'm a, I like people who can write and sing and rap. And but right, but Drake. But somebody somebody had a good point. They said Drake was an uh, actor who's rapping. Yeah, they said his best his best role is playing Drake. Exactly. But, but right, he's your question. But he's like the Denzel of it though. So you can't. No, I, right. I'm not knocking. I would never knock him ever. You're right. He's so, like right, great. So, He's really good at what he does. So who had the best verse on uh fucking problems with ASAP Rocky, Kendrick, and Drake? Girl, you know you won't do. <laughs> Girl, I'm Kendrick right. Lamar. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you think so? Yes. Damn, I'm damn, I, I, Kill I, them I all see. dead bodies in the hallway. All right, this is off Holla, topic. Barrett, hallelujah. Okay. Holla back. You're right. <laughs> You're right. You're right. All right, it's off topic, but, but the person who had the best flow on every girl was Mac Main. You remember that song? Yeah, I remember that song. Mac Main had the best verse out of Lil Wayne. That's what I'm trying to tell you. This man. No, bro, Mac This is, is what like I'm that. trying to tell you. This is what I'm Mac, trying to tell you. Mac what, what Main did for say? president. What? Tell me. And your and your homie's Uchi Wadi verse better than yours. That's what I'm saying. This man, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You're proving my, you're giving me you're throwing they me wrote. lobs. Now, whether you like Drake or not, uh, make sure you go back and check out that episode with Doris wherever you're watching or listening to this podcast. Now we can get into some topics. Point forward. If you're a new listener this week, down for that clown for that is when Evan and I disagree because we're 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 closest, bestest of friends, bestest of friends. Between. And uh, yeah, I like to see us uh, arguing with each other, the, the divide and conquering. This Ben Watson situation and Peter Burns. I don't know if anyone saw this, but it was pretty that was crazy. That, that was, was crazy. that was good TV. It was SEC Network, and it was a joke. Uh, ben Watson, former player, he's doing former a halftime show, Super Bowl champion as well with the Patriots. Yes, yes. correct. And uh, he didn't have a color suit. The other three guys, they had a black, he had a lighter color suit. He said, my wife told me I look good when I left the house. His wife was seven kids. If you got seven kids with somebody, you really love them. That's self-explanatory. And uh, the color commentator across from him uh, said, uh, well, she didn't text me. 
And they went on a commercial break and came back and those two were missing from set and the other two gentlemen were just kind of carrying on. And I know where Ben comes back and Peter was not to be found. Right. They're saying <laughs> we're not, we don't we don't have to debate this one because we both on the same page yeah. in terms of was he, you know, was it a, was it a good joke or a bad joke? It did what it's supposed to do. Get, yeah, your, I, get your ass whooped. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm I'm into it too. I thought it's an invaluable lesson of accountability. Do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Like at the end of the day, I'm like, bro, this is the response you get for that. Like you feel what I'm saying? Like people don't get that. It's like. It's like when somebody comes up to you and says, "Yo, I met Dre. He was he was an asshole." Yeah, because you were an asshole. Like you understand? What I'm saying? <laughs> like, like yeah, right. bro. Like you, you turned the radio on. Like I was perfectly fine. Say hi and go <laughs> fuck about your business. Like you know what I mean? But yeah, I was an asshole and showed you a mirror of what you look like. Now I'm wrong. That for is. Winning. That should be. What do they have? What do they call it? Um, training. Um, Awareness uh, training, probably media training, yeah. PR training, personal public relations training, and you have the word accountability, and you just show that clip. Um, this episode is dropping on Black Friday. Yep. Many of you, you Americans, or many of I don't know you people, whatever you call yourselves, y'all will be doing a lot of y'all Christmas shopping in bulk on Black Friday. Et, here's the question: Black Friday shopping, you down for that? Or is are they clowns for that? I'm I'm not down for it, but that's just like because every time I go to Christmas, I don't get no Black Friday gifts. So like every year, I'm out and about at three a.m. risking my life, bringing Black Friday gifts, and then when I look, I only have a gift under the tree sometimes. So like I'm no, I will not be risking my life going to go do that on Black Friday. I, to be honest, I, and when I, I get up in the store, like I get what I'm looking for. If somebody's like, "Yo, why are you Black Friday shopping? I should rob your rich ass." Touche. So what you think? Hold on. I've never heard somebody say they don't like Black Friday because they don't get a gift. <laughs> it's the I'm season saying, of giving. Creation, bro. You really got to be on your hustle. I'm really out here in the field for my folks and then I don't have no gifts out there. So I'm literally going to sit on the couch and Amazon it. I'm not going to dive into it. I'm not going to go OD crazy in person. But from the crib, I'll, I'll cyber surf. That's the same thing, right? No, nah, I mean... I understand what's going on with the pandemic. There's a lot of sales. Um, I feel like there's a lot of places to go. You know, you can you can get Black Friday sales online. You can get it in person if you go to the store. I just think they take it too far with the 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 fighting in the lines, and it's like uh, it's what's really that show? Like that. What was that it's show really like when that. we were first? When we were first, uh, when we were growing up, uh, supermarket sweeps, when they were rushing into the store trying to get everything as fast as they can, yeah. and they went and got them honey hot hams because they was the most expensive yeah. thing in the store. Speaking That's of honey hot hams, uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr., um, I was asking him about his yeah. um, Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, Y'all call it Thanksgiving. I'm not a holiday guy, first and foremost, but I'm down for Black Friday just to get that off my chest. And I hope I'm not offending anybody. I'm just not a holiday person, right? For my own personal reasons. But Patrick Baldwin Jr., I asked him, did he want a holiday ham for Thanksgiving? And he said, what is that? And he's from Milwaukee. Come on, dog. That's, brother, that's uh, shocking. Uh, uh, a honey, a honey baked ham. Everybody knows what a honey baked ham is. Whatever. A ham, period. Yeah, but how you... They eating bean casserole at that dinner, bro. Ain't he? I, I, I did ask him. Yeah. I did. I did ask him. 
what was uh I did ask him, did he eat stuffing or did he eat dressing? And he said, hey, what's the difference? And I said, well, which one do you eat? He said, I eat stuffing. That's so it that. made sense. That's made everything sense. you need to know. The sugar, the Kool-Aid is not sweet. <laughs> no, there's no Kool-Aid, period. But but yeah, I'm I'm down, I'm down, I'm down for uh Black Friday just based off the sales. And like yeah. growing up how we grew up, I think you get more you get more gifts if you shop on Black Friday as opposed to shopping after Black Friday, because your money is just not the same. You know, it's just you're getting things for pennies on a dollar. So you can get you can get two for one. So there's more gifts if you think about it. Yeah. You just gotta hide them well. No, yeah, I guess bro. for a month. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I I just never let I'm I'm a here or there Black Friday guy, but never it's bro, it's too much. It's too bro, it's too much. It's hectic in there, though. It's like they it's like when they re released Tickle Me Elmo and a Nintendo 64. Oh. Remember how buck people were going for Tickle Me Elmo? When they were getting I had slapped, to go find one of them. That's what I'm saying, yeah. bro. Yeah. So like I I think I don't think there's enough security to assist us. You know what well, I'm we don't got Set. jobs. Yeah. But at, the same, but at the same time, like the robbery. Like Survivor Series. Yeah. And the robbery and everything's <laughs> at an all-time high, bro. They robbing our grandmas now, dog. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, so like when you, you're leaving with all this stuff, like it's going to be a stick up kids playground for real in that parking lot, G. Man, I don't even want to say this, but I saw clips of. Philly, they got them kids, them bikes, like little kid bikes, G. And before the event was over, they had already stole the bikes, fam. <laughs> My point, and that's what I'm saying, the, the tricycles, what, they had training wheels on them. Bro, and that's what I'm saying, bro. Literally, it used to be honor amongst thieves, literally. Now there's not. They stealing from kids. They stealing from bait. Bro, it's OD right now. Be Yo, careful. Them cherry, careful, them cherry, them cherry 11s. They hit the streets. They they weren't supposed to drop the Christmas. It's bro, it's fuck out here. So I'm saying, like, do you, at the end of the day, respectfully, do you want to go Black Friday shopping or get with the get with the thieves and go go five figure discount for real? Because that <laughs> that's the come up, bro. Right? Hey, man, next next topic. Man. All right, well, fine. Speaking Thank of stealing, you. speaking of stealing, who stole? This FTX situation is getting more and more complex. I knew it was happening. I knew it. That's why I didn't come and do that interview that day because I knew something was tricky. When I read it, I was I'm like, "Bro, I can't, I can't be behind this." State your, state your position. Yeah, I can't be behind this. I like it. Money. I'm sick. If none of you have been me? able to uh, go back and and uh, listen to what fraud sounds like, they're saying it's fraud. He hasn't been prosecuted. I think he did a really good job of he 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 was like the largest donator to political parties maybe ever he was he was giving a lot of money and that might keep him out of jail uh yeah, but, but uh sam sam bakeman fry ftx situation everybody's getting sued they suing the warriors because the warriors had ftx on the court they suing the nba they suing steph they suing tom brady they suing anybody that anything to do with ftx because it's like um ftx still owes three billion over three billion to investors and uh the three three top executives have uh, been fired um SBF. Uh, I did read the text message, uh, the the DMs. He was talking yeah. to a writer, and he's basically saying he, he, you know, he's like, I fucked up. He just kept saying I fucked up, and uh, I was just trying to do something good. The the interesting thing is, please go back and listen to the episode with, with SBF. It was near 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 the end of season one. Uh, his whole 
his whole meaning of existence on earth was altruism, meaning he was Peter Pan or Robin Hood or those individuals who uh, they, they take money and they they're giving it all back. So his whole goal in life was to uh, amass a large sum of money and give it back to the hood or to whoever he considered the hood is. If you go to a local county jail, I guarantee you it's like half the jail that was trying to do the same thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for that statement. No, I think I feel you. Shout out to SPF. You, you try, right? Now, it's just been, but the whole market's getting hit. And so people are off uh, crypto at the moment. Uh, if you, if you, you know, if you talk to uh, Brian, Brian Armstrong, who's the CEO of Coinbase, uh, their balance sheet is pretty healthy. Um, you know, they, they've had a drop in transactions um, and people aren't transacting as much in the crypto space. But um, I think we saw this in a lot of emerging sectors where you're trying to figure it out. I think somebody said it best. They said um, with the Internet, the Internet was built first and then everyone learned how to monetize off the internet and it yeah. said it's the exact opposite we're trying to monetize off of web 3 but we haven't built web 3 yet and that's where we've gotten a lot of trouble so what do you think about the team and players getting sued like that's kind of they, they suing everybody yeah yeah they suing everybody they suing they they ain't gonna win step 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 fell away or was he just yeah. i didn't even i didn't even ask him about it um yeah, yeah, yeah. i know they already are replacing the FTX decals on the court. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's seen it before. You know, we've, we've always, we've all seen it before. And so, I mean, I'm going to keep watching this uh, FTX situation. Um, as well in the crypto space, I did see Justin Bieber bought a board ape for 1. something million, 1. 1.1, 1.3, 1.7. It was an odd number or something like that at the end. And, and six, now it's seven. only worth like 75000 And so now I'm thinking about buying me a board ape. Like there's two there's two projects that haven't gone away in the crypto space yeah. or web three space. It's uh the board apes, I think they've established themselves as they'll be here for a while. You know, it's kind of the originators. They'll be like the Super Mario of you know their space. Like they'll be here. Yeah, that's dope. And yeah, uh yeah. doodles. Doodles is the other project that's been doing okay. really well. I've been tracking them too. So uh I don't have a board ape, so I'm looking now. It's a, see, it's like Black Friday in, in the crypto market too. Yeah, okay. Yo, did you, so they still they definitely stealing on there too. Did you uh <laughs> did you see uh the new um what was it the new CEO of Disney? I think he was trying to say they were going to try to expand into Web three and, yes. and, and create that. That was pretty cool, I thought. Bob yes. Iger. Bob Iger's Bob back Iger. in yeah, Disney. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so, I think things is gonna get cracking. Yeah, I've been tracking that as well. Um he's only gone for a year. He came back fast. It was like MJ left. He was like, All right, I need yeah. to come back. Yo, this is a great all right. I'm not even trying to get off topic, but did you what see you like the, the new avatar? They said, oh, they yes, it's going to be billion. They need two billion just to break even or something. Like oh, they're going to get that, though. They're going to get you that. think so. Yeah, they're going to get that. Man. Uh, you know why I say that? Because I'll I'll tell you what it was like. Uh, this sounds like an episode of Brilliant Idiots. Shout out to Charlemagne. De God. Um, uh, when I went, I was in Utah. It was with Rodney Carney. And we were bored. Like, obviously, there's nothing to do in Utah. There used to be a soul food restaurant in Utah that we yeah. were always at. It was like a house yeah. on the outside. And yeah, but we walked in, it was like a house. It was really good food. Did you eat there? No, they charge $25 a shot in Utah for Hennessy. So they need to get that together before the All-Star game. I mean, because it's, it's, it's tight races. But keep going. My fault. 
you spoke you spoke about this with yeah. Ryan Smith, who was yeah, on was early in season one, who's uh, owner, governor of the Utah Jazz. And, and so we spoke about that. Um, but I, he doesn't drink alcohol. Um, but we were in Utah. I think we went to that restaurant. And then obviously you're at the Grand America and you really don't have too much, too many options in terms of entertainment. So he's like, let's go to the movies. Cool. And so we go to the movies. There was nothing out. But it's this, uh, it's this movie that everybody's going to see. The lines are long. And they showing them like every 30 minutes, like the whole movie theater is this movie. And Ronnie's like, you want to see this movie? I'm like, whatever. Like, what is it about? The lady tells us and doesn't give a good description. There are only two seats left. And he's like, row two, far left. Like, this is a big screen. And uh, I said, whatever, man, I ain't got nothing to do. Man, I have no idea what I'm going to see. Bro, eight minutes in, bro, I'm locked in. Bro, because you thought you were in a different world, bro. Was it Pandora or um, something? was unbelievable. Fam, I'm locked in. And Zoe Zaldana popped up on screen. I almost mm -hmm. hurt, blew myself. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing movie. I'm saying all that to say that I will be at uh, the second one. This like I went to go see Black Panther, Wakanda 2, whatever you call the movie. I went yeah. to see that uh, at 9.30 in the morning. Like that's the earliest I ever seen a movie. Well, you know, I, my schedule's all crazy now. Like I don't get to see yeah. movies. I don't get to do like I can't even read books like I used to. Like I'm just working, working, working around the clock. And so that was the only time I could go. Okay. And so I went at 9 30 a.m. It was worth it. Really? I have to go check it out. I haven't seen it. You and I have oh, seen no. a couple couple movies together in theater for the first time. Hunger Games. Hunger Games, same way. And Think Like a Man. And like Think Like a Man was good. And when you and, and with Dre. But the Dre is the one black dude in theater that talks to the screen. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, don't, don't run in there, bitch. Like, in front of, like, a, a theater, like, full of people. So, like. All right, speaking of, speaking of Rikonda, um, you haven't seen the movie. But uh, it's got the highest grossing um, weekend in November ever, which is huge. Huge. And and so I was proud to be a part of that. Uh, um, oh, you got time. You still have time to help out with this November. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna go out and when I get back on a Friday, I like to watch my movies on Friday night. Um, we ran into Ryan Coogler talking about Black Panther and Wakanda. Yeah. Uh, we ran into Ryan Coogler and what he's meant to the culture. Like everything he's touched has yeah. turned to gold. Yes, we got to get Ryan yeah. on here. I'm trying to be conscious of his time. No, I know he's busy. Like, I don't think he stopped. He hasn't stopped since. Um. Fruitvale Station. He did wow. Fruitvale Station with Michael yeah. B. Jordan. And then he did the Creed one. I think he did yeah. Creed two. Two and working on Creed three, right? They're working on Creed three. And uh the producer is Michael B. Jordan's gonna be the executive producer of that one, but he's done Everyone. both Wakanda movies and um like everything he's done has been amazing. And so we, we got a few projects we want to link up with him. So uh, but just talking about how he's become like a household name and yeah. he's become like uh you know just what he's done as a director and given our youth a different uh, journey or vision of what you can do and how you can create is, I think has been super dope. This one, like this one is, this one is like very close to our, we keep this close to our vest. What Deion Sanders has been doing for Jackson state. Uh, they finished the season uh, undefeated thus far. Deion Sanders, what he's built, um, you know, Walmart built them uh, an entire uh, new practice facility, sports complex. Um, he's got the 
big deal with uh, Barstool Sports. Uh, they got a ton of NIL deals. His son's a quarterback killing it. I think his other son's on defense killing it. Um, he says he's got everything he needs to have uh, a huge program except for uh, in the trenches. He said he doesn't have big, big man. Like, he doesn't have – you know, offensive line, yeah. defensive line. And when yeah. you get that, you control in both sides of the ball. And he says yeah. the only thing he hasn't been able to, um, you know, key in, not key in on, but they haven't been had dominance there. They're still working on that. Before we go into his potential, uh, the potential job openings for him going forward, I think we should just, you know, take some time to dive in on how hard it is. We just talking about this with Robert Smith. It's a 82%. What was it? 87% or 82% yeah, of all 82%. HBCUs? Is in uh in um broadband broad the broadband desert along with the if you in the water situation in Jackson as well. So like when you they had, break they had that in hotels, down, yeah, it's, it's a, he's doing a lot. They're mentally strong down there for real. They're they're staying yeah, locked he, in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He had the the trappers talking yeah. to the players about how not to get trapped. I don't want to give yeah. nobody no power by mentioning their name, but yeah. he's been he's, he's been uplifting the boys. And he's even got college and ESPN college game days came down there as well. So I think the energy around that mm-hmm. is real and serious. And I know he's getting big time coaching offers, but I think what, what he's doing right now and if he stays is going to change the culture in a big way. Uh, but the number one thing he has to do as well is continue to recruit. And I don't think it's uh it's not one recruiting cr- recruiting class, but it's like three or four recruiting classes to really start that tradition, right. really have a a wave of success and kind of have two or three loaded, you know, levels of uh, talent. Yeah. But what's interesting is me is, you know, I, I was one of the, one of the books that kind of changed the way I thought as an African-American athlete was uh, $40 million slaves by um, William slash Bill Roden. And we had, we had an opportunity to sit down and chop it up with him in New York, which was super dope. Um, but one of the chapters was about the Fat Five and what if the Fat Five went to HBCU as opposed to going to Michigan. And, you know, as we saw in the pandemic, a lot of schools rely on funding from, you know, the sports programs to keep the yeah. school going, not yeah, the athletics sure. going, but keep the school going. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, that's yeah, real. And so, right, when you start getting, I always say you get a class or two, the, the top the top 20 Top 40 of the class, they go to HBCUs, you know, now you're getting real TV deals. You know, you got, I just spoke about the SEC network, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, Texas has their own network, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. the, the, the deal the Big Ten just did, right? They just got yeah. USC, UCLA, and then they just really went and got that crazy TV deal yeah, on top yeah. of that. And then they're going to start then, doing streaming deals as well. And they're going to get more more colleges as well from the West Coast too. Right. Yeah. And so all that funding, we won't have water problems. We won't have broadband problems. Right. And so well, and and then now we're able to hire the correct, you know, academic advisors. We're able to hire the top professors. You know, you know, yeah. it's like most like most when you have the great professors at HBCUs, it's almost like on some pro bon- pro bono type stuff, right? Like yeah, you know, yeah, sacrifices. Yeah. So, you know, when you when you start monetizing, you know, uh our brand the way it's supposed to be and giving it back to HBCUs, then it's able to funnel all across. Then you do what, what they call the group licensing. Uh, group yeah. economics now spreads out to all the universities. Now we're all able to recruit. You know what I mean? Now we're able to get a coach and get a private jet to go see a kid at the last minute. You know, it's, and then the merch and the merch like in the nineties is part of the culture. Remember, we everybody back like during the Martin TV shows Martin. and all that used to wear. You know like, who started that? HBC. Bill, Bill Cosby was big oh, on it. Wow. On the oh, Cosby really? show. Okay. Yeah, okay. he stayed yeah. in it. Yeah. Different yeah. world. And, 
And that's what I'm saying. And with that energy, you mix in NIL. Hopefully, mm-hmm. if, if the state of course and the priorities is really to change and get the resources right. up to date, I think if, if Dion stays, he can really continue to shift the culture. But but, but folks are saying he's leaving. I don't see why he would leave. That's like to leave to go to Colorado. Like he's got an offer from Colorado and USF. Right. I mean, I, I guess you could recruit in Miami, of course, South Florida, but. I mean, this is bigger. I think this is truly bigger than you know what I mean. I I think with him, he he. I think he wants to. He wants to pay the staff more. Yeah, of you course. know what I mean. Yeah, that's um, crazy. But you, it's just like, yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with you because you see some cities they just don't have the economy to be stable. But we talk about Columbus, Ohio, all the time. I just I just yeah. saw that uh, yeah. the women the women's final four is coming to Columbus in a couple of years, yeah. right? And yeah. just the just the the history and the excellence from that university has really built uh, like a real metropolitan city. City like yes, yes. Columbus is one of the top, one of the largest cities in the country. Like people don't know this. Yeah, it's number one real estate market. It's a top ten city. It keeps growing every year. Yeah, and, I just got uh, a new hospital. Yeah, and we just got a new hospital. We have Intel Amazing. coming there. Yeah, Intel's coming out to put their their company out there, along yeah, with the a lot factor. of other. Yeah, yeah, a lot of, uh, with a lot of other industries and companies coming. So the projection right now is Intel's going to bring in like a hundred billion over ten years. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the car manufacturers building a uh, the battery Honda. plant there for electric cars. Right. Yeah, like, for the chips. Yeah. And the college has built this, you know, yeah. and so we're, I think we're saying all this to say. You know, we can do this in a place like, you know, Jackson, Mississippi, or, yes. you know, some of the places that are HBCUs in that may seem like, you know, especially in the South, which is some of the lower literacy rates, in, yeah. not just in the country, but in the world, like we can start bidding something special, but they don't want to hear us talking about that. <laughs> now for this week's guest, we want to bring to the show um, a dear friend of mine, somebody I competed versus a big time uh, back home in Chicago, and somebody I always had great respect for. And now he's a new coach for Duke University Blue Devils, John Shire. So for one, I want to start off by acknowledging, uh, you know, obviously you have three gentlemen here from the beautiful state of Illinois. Andre, were you part of the 0-3 class? 0-2. Oh, 2 yeah. Oh, wow. Damn. And, uh, he's called myself. me old. <laughs> no, you're not old at all. You're, you're just getting better and better with time. <laughs> Myself, I'm from the 07 class, and this next uh, gentleman we have here, who is a Chicago legend, a national champion, and, uh, you know, obviously Duke's new men's basketball coach, John Shire. He's a member of the 06 Illinois basketball class, and uh, one of my favorite players to compete against and watch growing up. So, John, thanks for uh, joining today. Thanks so much for having me. It's, uh, you know, Illinois, we have, I'm always, you know, we have people from everywhere down here, so I'm always bragging about Illinois. Chicago, yeah. Springfield, all right, <laughs> Springfield, <laughs> but yeah. Illinois and Chicago. So it's great to be with both of you. Uh, obviously, been big fans of uh, both of you guys and what you've done and uh, who you've been as people for a long time. So thank you. Appreciate no it. Well, we knew um, a lot of people are coming up to you about uh, discussing the co- coaching and, you know, Duke and what's coming up. But we kind of want to talk to you more as a player. As I said prior to, you're one of the best players to ever come out of Illinois. Um, you're a top five bucket getter coming out of Chicago and those areas. Can you take us back to your beginning, how you ended up here prior to being a Duke coach and being a NCAA champion and, you know, take us from the beginning? You know, I think for me, it started with having a great appreciation for the history of just the game, period, but also starting with, 
you know, my goals didn't start with, uh, you know, uh, just playing in junior high. I mean, when you're a kid in Chicago in the nineties, you grow up watching the bulls and all you see is winning. Like you just, you get accustomed to it. And, uh, so for me then, uh, just getting outside of my comfort zone, I think was a big thing growing up, you know, going to different places, different areas, watching different players. I mean, I remember watching Dre. I remember watching you downstate, you know, playing, you know, I remember watching, you know, a guy, Matt Loddick, you know, mm-hmm. from New Trier, you know, went mm-hmm. to Stanford. He was, yep. I was always studying Matt and what he would do. Yeah. I would, you know, watch, you know, clips of, I had a, I had an old uh, cassette tape, right? That's what, that's what we all grew up with, right? Where you're watching video cassette of, uh, of uh, Farragut in, in Thornton downstate. And I still have it to this day of, you know, watching, you know, Ty Streets and Ronnie Fields and Kevin Garnett. And uh, so for me, it started there with that passion of wanting to do something special in high school. And uh, then obviously you had to, you know, get outside and get different uh, kinds of competition outside of just where I'm from in Northbrook. Let's take it back to a uh, place in you and I, we were alumni of um, the Illinois Warriors. And uh, I don't know if you remember Peace Jim. I was going to ask you if you remember Peace Jam. <laughs> oh, of, course, of course I remember. It was Peace Jam was you. Uh, it was Julian Wright. E.T., yeah. what's my guy's name from Proviso that went to Shannon Brown. Kansas State? Oh, no, oh Kansas Jake State. Pullen. Jake Pullen. Jake Pullen. Jake Pullen. Yeah. <laughs> Just take us back to what it was like playing against, you know, some some of the, you know, best players in, in, in Illinois basketball history. You know, a lot of people don't understand. You know, like you just said, you watched me play downstate. I remember eighth grade, I was watching Quentin Richardson play downstate uh, when he was with uh, Whitney Young. And just kind of the lineage that came from, you know, he was with the Illinois Warriors as well. Darius Miles, you know, it was just, it's just so much tradition behind that. Um, like what kind of drew you to playing with, you know, that group? Because I think Matt Lottick played with the Warriors too, right? Illinois Warriors. He did. He did. Yep, that's right. He did. And and I think around, you know, I don't know, probably around my time, there started to be a bunch of other teams, but Warriors had always been yep. the dominant team in Chicago, right? And I don't know if you remember, but you, you gave our team a pep talk, actually. We went we ended up winning the whole thing that year. That, oh, the team yeah, that you're talking yeah. about. So I jealous of y'all. There. I don't know why you're down there. <laughs> You know, LB, LB had me down there. You know, it was a big thing uh, when you had a AAU squad that was led by Nike and then you had one of your pros show up to the tournament. So I think that was more Larry uh, letting the Nike execs know how powerful he was at the time. You know how it goes. That's about right. That sounds about (laughs) right. You know, so LB, like for me, he's one of the most important people that I've come across in my life. Like, it's funny I don't know about for you guys, but for me, looking back on some of the decisions you make when you're 14 years old, mm-hmm. 17 years old, when I committed to Duke along the way, it leads you to, you know, like I won't be here. Honestly, I don't feel I'd be in this position if I didn't make the decision when I was 15 to play with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget my first time playing with them. Actually, I wasn't 15. I was 14, I think. I was... Now I take that back. I was 15. After it was my freshman year going into my sophomore year. And the first AAU tournament, I show up and there LB's having a meeting in the hotel room. I didn't even know about it. You know, it's you know, it, LB's a lot of things. The most organized isn't one of them. And so I walk Sounds into like the AAU. Meeting. Exactly. I walk into the meeting. I'm wearing Adidas shoes. Like I didn't, I didn't know any better. I'm wearing Adidas shoes. 
And I walk in and LB looks down. He said, you're late and take off your damn shoes. And so he makes me, he, he made me sit in the meeting with no shoes on. Everybody else is looking at me. That's my first introduction. Uh, but he gave me the great opportunity of playing up as a freshman at Peace Champ. And there's the first time a lot of coaches saw me, but Coach K in particular, uh, we played the New York Gauchos, and he mm -hmm. put me in the game. I got a couple of steals, made a few plays, and that's when I was, I think, under the radar. And, uh, you know, that's when uh, I think the rest is history from really that moment on. I was wondering what your mindset was like from the get-go, because one thing that you did that I've noticed from the day one was you dominated for four straight years. And during that time, in Illinois basketball, some of the best players to ever, you know, come out of there. You had Derrick Rose that was a year younger than you. You had, you know, Sharon Collins. You had a lot of Division One talent coming around, but you were able to stay at the top of the mountain for four years. What was your mindset daily? Like, how did you go into that to attack? Because you weren't the strongest, although you had height and IQ. Literally, going up against Chicago competition coming from Northbrook wasn't the most ideal. So how did you go about that? You know, I just think uh, for me, Evan, it was always wanting to prove. You know, I never felt felt satisfied. Was, you know, every day I wanted to show that I could play with anybody and always had a passion to win. You know, I didn't play for numbers. I didn't play for points, although, you know, I did score a lot in high school. But it was for me, it was about winning. And, uh, you know, I also knew that you mentioned some of those players, the competition. You know, I played against some of those guys since – real young, you know, you're oh six and oh seven are two of the great classes to come out of Illinois. There's no doubt in my mind. It's deep. I mean, you mentioned Dre mentioned Jacob Pullen in your class and, you know, St. Joe's teams that you guys had. And uh, you know, the last high school game I ever played was against Derek Rose. They beat us in the in the Elite Eight my senior year. But for me, you know, I think the best I tell this to our players now, but I think one of the best compliments you can give a player is that every day they show up. You know what you're going to get every day. You may not make the most shots. You may not, you know, play your best all the time. But if you bring your best and compete every day, like that's a guy that I would want to lace my shoes up with. And and for me, that's who I try to be as a player. Well, I think everyone knows a lot about your, you know, your story career at Duke. You know, once you're at Duke, you know, you're pretty much on a big stage. And um, I guess the, the the question I have concerning your college career. And I've never knew known this because I've never played at Duke. I played at Arizona, you know, which is a storied college basketball program. But, you know, Duke is the epitome of college basketball, uh, especially over, you know, since Coach K's career there. Mm -hmm. So the last 30, 40 years. And just explain to me, like, what that pressure was like, you know, having to live up to those expectations night in, night out. And, and for four years, you know, in, in a at a time where guys are in and out. So you got four years of that pressure. You know, it was, it was interesting to go through. My freshman year was, you know, I think at other places it would be a good season. You know, we were 22 and 11, but we had two four-game losing streaks my, my freshman year. And so, you know, imagine, you know, we've had a couple of times we've lost two in a row. It feels like the world is ending. Right. You know, losing four in a row twice that, that season was a tough thing to go through. And uh, you realize very quickly, uh, you know, Look, people are watching, you, you know, which is a great thing. But so when you win, you can get some really good praise and that's cool. But when you lose, you're going to hear about it. Yep. And so for me, I'd rather be in that position as opposed to people not caring. 
but you have to be thick skinned. You have to stay really determined, uh, you know, continue to, to move forward. And, you know, for me, I had four years where really each year we took a step forward, you know, lost in the first round, my, you know, NCAA, my freshman year, sophomore year, sweet 16, sorry, sophomore year, second round, junior year, sweet 16, we lose a Villanova who goes, who went to the final four. Yeah. And then we won the whole thing. My, my senior year, but now I think for, for me as a coach, you try to navigate those four years in one, you have to go through through those ups and downs where you're ready now uh, and tougher when it comes March and April. Yeah. So during that time, those four years at at, uh, Duke, you obviously played under coach K and then you're able to go and coach under him. So you had a hell of a mentor, but now tender age of 35, you're going from, you know, being led to being in charge. How do you feel about that? I, Man, and that's a, I, I feel a lot of ways about it. <laughs> yeah, I feel a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, when I initially got the call from our athletic director, Nita King, it was, uh, and I have no problem saying this. I don't care, you know, other people that have called me, but it was the best call I've ever received. And, uh, you know, it's exciting. It's humbling. You feel incredibly grateful, but also you feel a great deal of responsibility to carry this thing forward the right way and continue the tradition and excellence that's, uh, you know, come before and what coach K has done. So, uh, you know, for me, I think I try to take it one day at a time, try to stay, stay present, focus on, you know, the here and now, not try to get, you know, uh, get, not try to listen to many voices, if that makes sense, just try to stay focused on what we have to do. And, uh, you know, I got some really good advice from a good friend of mine the first week I got the job and he told me you're going to want to do a million things because you know running a program now there's so much that's involved with it focus on one thing get really good players <laughs> <laughs> and so for me that's really the first you know year before I became head coach officially that was my focus and I'm really proud of the group that we have we have you know, different collection of talent with young and, and more experienced, uh, but they work their work their asses off. And I don't, I don't know if you guys, do you guys? All the time. All right. Uh, just, I'm just making, I, don't, I don't know what kind of podcast. Oh, uh, no, we say some other stuff, so don't worry. All right, I'm, just checking. I'm just checking. I'll probably get in trouble for that, but that's all right. But, uh, but and they're, they're, they're ready to be coached and they're ready to work. So for me, that's been the most exciting part to be along alongside these guys as we go into this season. You're talking about recruiting. And uh, before you became head coach, you were a number one recruiter. And I see uh, you you threw a, a wrench in, a, in the plans and you hired my guy, Jay Lucas. <laughs> and um, that's the son of former NBA great, John Lucas. But typically all the assistant coaches and everything were typically former Duke players. So what made you go about that and, you know, kind of switch it up a bit? Yeah, I I think uh, for me, every decision I've made, you try to balance two things. You try to balance one, the history of our program Mm -hmm. and continuing the things that when, what, what you guys may identify as Duke basketball, I want to continue to carry those things forward with how hard we play or, you know, that it is bigger than basketball here. There are some things that are really important. Uh, also, at the same time, being innovative and making decisions based on what's best for here and now, and, and, and especially what college basketball is in 2022. And so for me, we had, you know, assistant coaching role to fill. 
And Jay and I had a couple of conversations and, you know, very clearly, very quickly, I realized he was the best person for the job. You know, his, his blend of experience. Also, he's still not too far removed from, from playing. And he was, you know, a great player. Uh, you know, he talks that he was, uh, he peaked at age 17, at 17. <laughs> he was really good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, still really good at 22, but he was yeah. big time at 17. And, uh, you know, look, because of, you know, his dad and brother, he's been around the game his whole life. Mm-hmm. So knowing the highest of levels and he's coached, you know, for three great coaches at, you know, great school, Kentucky, Texas. So his experience, his personality has been huge for me. We've developed a really close bond in this short time that he's been here so far. All right, enough of these tough toss-up questions. I've been knowing you since you were a baby. You're like a grown-ass man now, right? Like, this is <laughs> this is like I think I think, I think you, so. I, I think you understand, like you know, the situation you're in and the magnitude of it. Um, so I think that's just beautiful in itself, and like you have that appreciation for the game, the way you approach the game. You know, and in this new day and age of recruiting players, and and I'm trying to figure this out myself. How do you build something very special with college basketball and the alumni and and the student athlete that you bring there with kids being able to transfer every year, or you know, with the recruiting landscape has changed. You know, NIL, the whole thing's just changed. So, you know, how do you still go about carrying tradition in, in that respect? It's uh no, it's an incredible question and one that I've thought a lot about because you can get swept up in what you read in the news or what you think, you know, is being done out there. And for, for me, I think at the end of the day, it still starts and ends with relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, you guys know me for some time, but you know, anybody that's known me, I've never tried to be anybody other than myself. And I think it's really important that that doesn't change now. You know, I can't try to be Coach K. You know, I can't try to be somebody else that I'm a head coach. Like, I'm just going to be real, whatever that means. You know, people have asked me, what's my coaching style going to be? You know, are you going to stand or are you going to sit? And for me, I'm going to do what I feel. <laughs> I, don't, right, I don't know right. what it's going to be. But I'm, gonna, I'm just always going to keep it real, be honest. And, of course, I think you guys tell me if I'm wrong. But as a player, you want to know that your coach cares. And so in recruiting, you know, we, we're all about relationships. Uh, we don't recruit a mass. So it's not like we're going to offer, you know, three wings and say the first guy to come, we'll take them. It's, we try to pinpoint who we're going after mm-hmm. and then go after them with everything we have. And for the most part, that's worked out great for us. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And no matter what the rules are, there's so much, there's so many changes in the rules with who knows with the NBA and, you know, the age limit and who knows with, uh, you know, obviously you have other professional leagues that players can go. I still feel like there's a, uh, there's a, there's the right fit for Duke and what that kid, what that person family is about. And uh, we'll continue to go after him with everything we have. For sure. Well, John, uh, also too, I was wondering as, as a coach, and, you know, being part of Duke and I'm, I've known you of you for years and, I have a Justin Bieber view of you because you've been, you know, a rock star that long. I was wondering during that time, has there ever been a point where you feel like you suffered from success or it's become too much for you or you felt stressed from going on being a basketball player and living up to all that pressure to, you know, entering your pro career and it not necessarily going the way you wanted it to go to? 
you know, coming back and, you know, being on his staff? Well, absolutely. There's been struggles along the way, 100%. You know, uh, I think it's more bouncing back from the failures, you know, that, that I've had. You know, I've had a lot of them, you know. <laughs> You know, I mean, we talked about Illinois in high school. You know, my freshman year, we were playing Thornwood, and we went furthest, the the furthest we've ever gone in our school history. We were playing the state semifinals. We're winning, uh, and Eric Gray for Thornwood is a three in my face. We're up two with about nine seconds to go. And we're, you know, nine, ten seconds away from playing Peoria Central and Sean Livingston in the state, state finals. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, should I get to – I was partly excited and partly a little nervous out of guard, Sean. <laughs> we were, you know, but you're already thinking that way. And uh, I, I missed the game winner. And so on the Chicago Tribune the next day, there's a picture of Thornwood celebrating. And I'm on the ground, you know, crying. And, uh, you know, I've never really had any balance. And so for me, whenever I've lost or, you know, had setbacks, zero balance. I would be miserable to be around. And uh, I think that's also partly what drives you. And, you know, what has made me, you know, you know, where I've had success, but it hasn't been where I don't think success has ever softened me has made me want it more. And uh, I know I'm going on and on, but I'll just say one more thing for me, the probably the, the, the toughest experience I've ever had was going on drafted. Mm. You know, we won national championship. I led our team in scoring and assists and, you know, felt like it was, uh, there was a really good role that I could carve out. and. I got mono during the pre-draft process. Mm. I was skinny to begin with. I gained about, I lost about 15 pounds, which wasn't ideal. And uh, that was, that moment right there was, I think, really defining for me going forward, just with driving me, whatever path I, I followed. Uh, those are, those are tough moments right there. I think I remember one thing that really showed me your drive, because I was telling Dre prior to, um, I think it was 06 at the Proviso West Tournament. The legendary 21 points in, what, 75 seconds? Mm-hmm. I remember yep. uh, you filed out bogus call. You guys were about to come back. <laughs> it was. No, no, you said, was a, you no, said it, it was, not me. No, it was you a bogus said it. Call. Look it up on YouTube. It was. Yeah, it was a bogus call. And um, I remember he had 21 points in a minute and 15 seconds, and he got filed, he filed out. And I remember you didn't throw a tantrum, but I remember the fact that losing was damn near about to kill you. <laughs> like no, no, I'm being no, serious though. Like no, it was no. no it literally, it like he, he literally didn't care about like his perception or not. Like only when it mattered, and right. he literally flipped out. And every four letter words you probably could have said, you did. <laughs> and I remember being like, "Yo, this dude is a real life killer. He's a real life competitor. Don't let that pretty boy stuff kill like fool you. Like he's a real life competitor, and he really wants to win bad." And I remember sitting there and uh, leaving that game and kind of being like damn, like, what did I just see? Like, you know, and I always uh, appreciate that about you and I always uh, was never shocked in what you did moving forward. So definitely uh, giving you my my flowers, my snaps. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. It wasn't, you know, MVP in the finals or, you know, what what you did in the tournament or any, anything like that. For me, it was, it was always about winning. And uh, that was one of the most heartbreaking losses I've had. You know, we had won, I want to say 35 games in a row. Yeah. You know, our, our school mm-hmm. dating back to the year before, because we won 24 in a row to win it my junior year. Then we started off the season number one and 
St. Joe's Dre was like seven or eight. They were they were down the line, you know, from where <laughs> we were at that time. <laughs> I, I was in the stands waiting for you in the next round. The, the, the king was about to get slain. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's you fair. know that. But uh, but uh, and so you know, for me, it's talk about history, and I remember going on like IHSA, which is the Illinois High School, you know, association, and they have records, and so you know, for most consecutive wins like i wanted to make a run where you could win 50 in a row or something and uh the proviso west got us that day i was you know i was a mess after that one but uh, let's 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 just dive into that when when was your first memory of competition where you knew you just hated losing or when were you aware that you were different and that you didn't like losing i don't know if it ever felt different you know Mm. to me it just felt like it was like that's how it's supposed to be, you right. know. And I have, you know, my friends have stories when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old, where I'd be just a complete prick, you know, just <laughs> if we were to lose. And uh, you know, there's individually it could be playing video games where, you know, I broke my friend's controller one time. You know, he beat me in video games. He started to stall in NBA Live. Who stalls you know, in <laughs> NBA Live? Like, just play. Just You have to play it out. No, 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 no. Time out. I did read you used to change the settings. and You was double teaming guys. You were setting up traps. You had all types of stuff That's going on in the settings of the stalling. game. That's different than stalling. <laughs> That's strategy, Dre. That's strategy. It's not, that's, that's stalling. But, uh, you know, I, ever since I can remember. I just always had, uh, I, I figured a way to rein it in, but I think it's better to have that and then uh, then, then to try to teach that or to teach someone how to be competitive. So, but ever since I can remember. But they call that sore losing. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I kind of want to touch on that. Like, you know, yeah. sometimes yeah. The, anal- the analytics miss out on certain traits. And I think there's a positive side to someone who hates losing because I was told I was a sore losing loser when I was a kid like you just hate losing like no one can be around you when you lose but now where we're sitting where we're sitting I think that's the drive you need for success is I can't lose and so how do you differentiate a sore loser versus a guy who hates to lose I think a sore loser makes excuses mm. of why you lost mm-hmm. whereas if you hate to lose you look yourself in the mirror, you're not looking out and making excuses. You're looking at yourself, what mm-hmm. you could have done better. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, uh, I mean, there were times when I was young, I definitely, I think we all make excuses to a certain extent. Right. right? But I think I, I did learn over time that, um, to look in the mirror and to figure out what I could have done better. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that's the difference for me. I don't know what you would say about that, but I, I, I really do. I think it's, Hating to lose. And I'll, I'll add one more thing. Uh, you could beat me five times in a row. I still felt like I was going to beat you the sixth time. Whether that was mm-hmm. true or not in my mind, that's just how mm-hmm. I was wired. So the, the losses would add up to determination for me. But why would people call you a sore loser? Oh, I, I just I couldn't stand losing. And so I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to be around anybody. Um, you know. It, it, and I agree with that excuse part because the excuse was if you wouldn't if you would have passed me the ball more, I would have had more points. But you know, like I think you're that could have right, been you know? true. That could have been true also. <laughs> no, I was I was a big time scorer in you know third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. I think we all were. And 
I think that was just more of being a kid, being 9, 10, 11 years old. Uh, you know, you looking up to your idols, obviously Michael Jordan, and you see him going after his teammates. And so we're the best player in our team. So we feel like we can do the same, having no idea what a tr true leadership means. But at the same time, I think that's a part of the game that's been missing. I, ju I just saw John Lucas III was working some kids out. And they were doing drill work. And he was he was saying, I'm, I'm sick and tired of you kids doing, like, you do your drill workouts while you're playing. It doesn't work like that. The game of basketball is off instincts. And I think that is, uh, that's why there are a lot of great basketball players from the Midwest. You know, you got Ohio. We got Ryan Ryan's a, a rookie from Detroit, you know, Illinois, Indiana. It's just kind of like basketball havens because – we spend that we have a lot of experience with the game of basketball and it's not drilled where there's just instincts and there's experience involved and, you know, going through being called a sore loser and growing through that. And I just think we got to get back to that because John Lucas was saying, you know, you kids don't play enough basketball. Like everything's a drill. Every like you're euroing for no apparent reason. We just came to a jump stop and got to where you're supposed to get to. And, you know, E.T.'s game, efficient, essentially an efficient style of basketball. Am I right, E.T.? Depends. <laughs> On the day, I shoot mid-range. That's not efficient no more. <laughs> to them. What, yeah, to that, what, what, ever... what would what would your game be like if you're coming through now? Would it be what do you think it would be different? I would add maybe a little bit, maybe shoot a three, but like bro, no, I like like, like, like I would hoop how I would hoop. Like I, if, if my shot wasn't going in from the three over 37%, I'm not shooting it. If my teammate wasn't shooting over 37%, I'd be like, bro, don't shoot the ball. You're jagging it for us. But so, like, don't I'm, you think you'd be, you'd be like, you you would be drilling or working out differently? Yeah, I would be no, shooting three. I would just shoot threes more. Bro, I had everything but a three-point shot. So, like, let's not, like, ask <laughs> whatever else it is. It's like, add it all, okay? So, I mean, if I had a three-point shot, I would just, I just shoot 10 threes a game. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where's our game going? Coach? Yeah, talk to where, Coach. Where, you would know. Like, where's our game going? Are we going to get that uh, that big back like the Elton Brand or the Carlos Boozer or the, uh, Shane Batty shot the ball really well in the league. So, you know, but, you know, he was taking charges. You know, you had to have a, you know, people don't know how good Christian Leitner was. You know, I I have this, uh, I always have these funny things with, you know, speaking about white basketball players, Christian Leitner was really, really good. And I think, I don't think people understood that, but, you know, he was the ultimate winner as well. You know, so how do you get guys to like a big man? Will that position ever come back? I don't think so. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Can I tell you why? Yeah. Let me tell you why. Because the way kids work out now, nobody works out without shooting threes and handling the ball. It's just the it's just the world that we're in now. So now, like I bet if you had Shaq coming through, I bet he'd be working on handling more and shooting occasionally. Yep. I just think it's the, the game has evolved. I don't think that it means we're not going to have a dominant big where they're not going inside. I mean, I know that happens still with some guys in the league, but I think I mean I see what's coming through next yeah. few years and. <laughs> It's 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 more than just scoring in the post. Like it's you know, bigs that are shooting threes, handling, and uh, I think it's also changed the way that we play defense here. Yeah. You know, we used to pressure and 
you know, we used to pressure so much and make four fours and fives handle, but now there's, you know, there's five guys on the floor that can pass and shoot threes and that are skilled. So it's, I don't, what do you think? You think it's changing? I mean, I hope it goes back somewhat because I also think get the best shot you can get. Now you want the most efficient analytical shot at times, or I think the first three quarters, but when you get to the NBA finals, yeah. You got to get the best shot available. You know, Steph Curry is just a different beast. And you know how the game rides in waves. And you get two of the greatest shooters of all time end up on the same team. And everybody's trying to copy that model. So I just think it takes for one player uh, to come through and just completely change the game. I mean, I like Luka. I like Jason Tatum. And and those guys can get to the paint and score whenever as well. So I think you still need that balance. Just to clarify, I'm not saying up here saying don't shoot mid-range shots. I would never no, say that. No, no, no. I'm not tripping. Yeah. Like you got the job, rock out, man. Go with the <laughs> no, go with the blue buck. But I'm just saying if like if yeah. we are fortunate to coach you, I would tell you you gotta shoot threes. Yeah, yeah for sure. In addition to everything you're doing. Yeah. I had to ch- I had to no change doubt. my game to stick around as long as I've stuck mm-hmm. around. You know, when I first got to the league it was frowned upon to shoot threes, especially as an athletic guy. And I, I never understood, like I was a big fan of Vince. I was a big fan of MJ and, you know, very athletic players. But you were, if you could jump over people, you were told to jump over people, stop shooting threes. So it was actually the the opposite, like don't shoot threes. And so I had to, you know, over time, you know, you got to shoot the ball a lot. It ends up at the point, ET, he spoke about it on the pot. He's worked me out before. And I, I, I was naturally a ball handler. I can get to my spots. And this was what two, three years ago. Yeah, like, and uh, I couldn't like, get. To- yeah, I remember sitting there and be like, "It's a damn shame that the game's changed so much. You're a beautiful pull-up shooter, and now you have no coordination. I, I couldn't pull up. Even, he couldn't. He couldn't even stop and pull up. And I'm like, "This is." I said, "You went your whole life working on this, and there's not enough time to even fix it. We got to hope it goes in because you just lost that coordination because all you done is shoot threes, yeah, which that, is perfectly fine. It's uh, it's crazy the way that." games of the game has changed and how we're taught i wish i was asked to jump over people no no coach <laughs> i ever played for asked me to jump over anybody so you should be happy they told you to say that to do, to do that until you get to be 39 and you wake up in the morning and you got to crawl out of bed literally and then and then walk around your twelve thousand square foot crib <laughs> and then uh go over to your extra house where your built-in golf simulator is look at your four rings Go outside your gated community where people yeah, are like, oh, I, I feel bad for you. Yeah. And then walk past your Ferrari that you don't drive in, you haven't <laughs> drove in a year because you're embarrassed. You know, no, it's what? art. It's art. It's art. It's art. Okay, for sure. For sure. Well, shoot, John, um, we appreciate you, bro. We appreciate you coming on, giving us your time, and, uh, you know, setting a standard for former players. What you're doing is unbelievable. It's magnificent. And, uh, you know, see where it started off and the story started. I'm just glad you didn't end up uh, on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no from, listen. Go ahead. No, Jeff, I'm so. sorry. And from and just from me, you know, I'll let you finish. Um, seeing you play in high school, um, you know, seeing your career develop. Um, I, to be honest, like, I never understood, like, you know, certain guys you can't get what's to their game. Like, we got a kid on our team with the Warriors now, Anthony Lamb. And when you first look at him, he doesn't look like an NBA player, but when he's on the floor, winning things just always happen. 
and you were one of the first players that I because I'm still young watching you play. I know I'm I'm older than you, but I'm young and assessing talent. And to see you play, you know, that's that that's that trait that doesn't show up in analytics as well. And it's just that winning trait. So, you know, just thank you for helping me see that. Uh want you to have a lot of success, you know, coming from Illinois and then, you know, having the job that you have, taking over that position is a big shoe to fill. I know you understand that, but I think you're well suited for it. And uh it's very rare that I get excited when I hear certain news. And I was truly excited when I heard you got the head coaching job. So congrats again. Me so much. Honestly, great to be with you, with you both and uh, real for you guys. You guys have been uh, watching you for a long time, Dre, Evan, knowing you for a long time, both you guys. And uh, thanks again for having me. This has been great. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. And John, keep hitting the weights, baby. I saw you last year. You put on a little bit of weight. Try to get to two hundred. I'm trying, man. I'm 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 trying to get to two hundred. It's hard. It's hard to get there for me. No, when I yeah, it's hard to get there for me. Yeah, when I.